0: Hello, listeners. My name is Pietro, and welcome to another episode of the LSE Focal Point podcast. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Matt Clifford. Matt Clifford is the co-founder and CEO of Entrepreneur First, founded in 2011. In addition to his role at EF, Matt is the chair of the UK's Advanced Research and Invention Agency and sits on the board of Code First Girls, which he co-founded in 2013. Matt holds degrees from Cambridge and MIT, where he was a Kennedy Scholar, and prior to EF, Matt worked as, as an associate at McKinsey. Matt, how are you doing today?
1: I'm well, thanks. I really appreciate you having me on the, on the program.
0: It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Well, first of all, I'm obviously going to ask you, uh, to tell us more about your career journey and how you got to where you are today. A very broad question to get us started.
1: Yeah, I'll try and be quick. Um, so I, uh, you know, I, I spent the last 11 years building Entrepreneur First, which is a, a company I co-founded when I was relatively young. I was 25 when I, when I started EF, uh, with Alice Benton, my, my co-founder. And the thesis of EF, uh, and the reason I'm telling you this is because it's really about careers is that many more of the world's most ambitious people should consider founding a company and actually consider founding a company relatively early in their career. Uh, we believe that we're in an era where technology entrepreneurship provides extraordinary leverage to ambitious and talented people. And yet in most of the world it's still a very weird thing to do. And so Entrepreneur First is designed to be the community for the world's most talented and ambitious people to come together, find co-founders, share and develop ideas and and build uh uh ambitious companies together. Um, so I, I've been doing that really nearly as long as I've been working. I Before that, I spent two years at McKinsey in, in London uh, where I learned a ton and uh, met Alice, my co-founder. Um, uh, and I think if I were to sort of say like what, what I learned from that, I, I think like the most important thing really was um, I realized how important it was to be uh, surrounded by exceptional people. And the big theme, I suppose, of EF is that what matters is who's in the room. Like The most important thing we do is curate communities of exceptional talent and from that amazing things happen um before that i had a very sort of slightly odd uh educational journey i i um i studied at cambridge as an undergrad and mit as a, a graduate and sort of spent my whole time sort of thinking maybe i should have been a computer scientist and uh I sort of realized i missed that boat but but fortunately through ef I get to work with a lot of computer scientists and, and shape that so more recently i mean you touched on this in the introduction. Um, I spent a lot of time, partly because of my experience at AEF, thinking hard about if it's true that institutional innovation, creating new ways of funding can uh, increase the supply of great entrepreneurs, what are some of the other things you can do with institutional innovation? And one idea I became very um, interested in, even obsessed by over the last three years, was the question of how do we increase the supply of great uh, scientific research? You know, it feels like um, science is the tool by which, uh, humanity advances. And yet, if anything, it looks like science is slowing down, uh, and at least on a per dollar or per head basis. And so I was very, um, fortunate to, to get involved in ARIA, which is the UK's new, um, uh, R&D funding agency for funding breakthrough research, loosely based on the US DARPA. And as you said, I, I, I've taken on, um, been the, sort of first exact chair of that so you know I, I will shut up because there are more interesting things to talk about than me but I, th- I think the big thing i care about is you know like talent and how do we enable talented people to maximize their potential by creating new ways of funding them and and creating incentives for them to take big risks early on in their careers that potentially have huge outcomes
0: thank you very much for that matt uh- Please don't shut up. We're going to ask you even more questions. This is the whole point of us being here together. Well, leading on from that, uh, from you speaking about the exception, being around exceptional people and EF, right? Honing you know, more, more about what EF is. What is it all about? And how does the business model of EF work?
1: Yeah. So EF is all about backing individuals before they have a company. So we we call it talent investing, and the core idea is that most venture capital firms back companies that already exist. EF exists to increase the supply of great companies. In other words, to make companies exist that otherwise might not. And really, that's about being able and willing to identify exceptional talent before there's a lot of evidence. You know, most of the most valuable companies that have been built at Entrepreneur First. Uh, we're built by people with two years, uh, or, or less of work experience. And so what that really requires us to do is, is find people who could be great founders, identify them, and then sort of embed them in our community, which is designed, I suppose, to do two things. One, to be a peer group. I think if you are someone who's very talented and ambitious, being around those people is so important to your success. Uh, I think it's actually one of the most important ingredients and I think that's partly true because you learn from the people around you partly frankly because you compete with the people around you and I don't think we should be squeamish about that like EF is a very intense quite competitive environment it's not a cutthroat environment but it is one where people oh there are a lot of people in the room who are used to winning and um, when you have a lot of people in the room who are used to winning and yet not everyone can win it's uh it makes for a really intense environment but maybe the most important thing is it's an environment where people can find a co-founder. So one of our big beliefs at EF, and in fact, we just wrote wrote a whole book about this, Alice and I just published a book called How to Be a Founder, that talks about the importance of co-founding relationships. And so one of the most important things that EF offers is we think it's the best place in the world to find a co-founder, to find someone to work with. And a lot of the way we structured what we do at EF is to maximize the chance of that happening in a really robust and sustainable way. So practically the way it works is um, we, uh, in every city where EF operates, we uh, we recruit cohorts of 50 to 80 people twice a year. Um, and, and the, the pitch to those people is quit what you're doing, quit your job, um, quit your, you know, academic position, whatever you're doing. We'll pay you to come and join us for three months to be in this cohort of other individuals. And we will give you a framework and a methodology and an environment in which to experiment with teams and ideas. And at the end of that three months, if you, Have something that we think is investable. We'll invest one hundred thousand dollars to give you a head start on getting ready to actually launch a product and and go out and raise a seed round. You know that's usually you know ten or twenty times more than that. You know, sort of a million, two million dollars to to get started. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think when we started this, uh, people thought this was a pretty crazy idea. You know, like it's one thing to back companies very early, but to back people before there's even a company. Like, how could that possibly work? But today, you know, yeah. It's built companies worth over $10 billion. And you know, some of those companies are changing the world, I think, in very important ways. Uh, so we, we know, we're starting to think that maybe it's not such a stupid idea after all.
0: That's a very eye-opening answer for the university students of today. So speaking more to the business side of things, as of this recording on the 18th of October, of course, in the recent news, we've seen uh, Bloomberg's economic prediction, 100% chances of recession in the US. And of course, this begs the question, right? economic downturns, startup businesses, their relationship evidently isn't the best. Some would say, no, this isn't a great time for them. But others may say, oh, this is an opportune moment to weed out the standard startups that you see from the exceptional ones. How do you see the economic cycle and startup businesses converge in a relationship?
1: I think you made a great point there, Pietro, which is that one of the weird things But I think also very intellectually interesting things about startups is it's almost pointless to think in terms of averages. You know, the average startup, the median startup fails in good times, medium times and bad times, like most startups fail. And so what you really want to know is if, if you're a prospective founder is, can I be a lot better than average? If you can't, don't start a company. That would be my advice. Uh and second um is the thing that I'm uniquely qualified to um to build uh something that now is a good time to build. And so, you know, I, I suppose how would I unpack that? Um well, one of the things that we talk a lot about in the book How to Be a Founder is the idea that every founder needs an edge. An edge is just a personal competitive advantage, something in your in your background, in your skills, in your experience that makes you the right person to get started on a particular type of company. It might be you know, some technical knowledge you have. It might be some knowledge of a particular sector or industry. It might be a hobby or obsession that you have that means you know a lot about it. But it might be something about you and your your skills, but it's something that's going to make you stand out. And i broadly say, if you don't have an edge, don't start a company, whether we're in recession or boom times. like You need to have an edge. We, we talk a lot more about that in the book. What I would say is if you do have an edge and if you have good reason to think that you can do better than average, actually, startups are pretty resilient to the macro environment. I mean, the, the reality is almost all the risk a startup faces is idiosyncratic. You know, it, it's specific to them. Like the the really hard question every startup faces is, are we doing something valuable enough that people will pay for it? Literally just that. And if you are, when you're this small, when you're, you know, day one, you know, like a recession isn't going to stop you finding one customer. Might make it hard, you know, if you, if you were already big, that's probably going to make it much harder to grow. But if the question is, is the core idea that we have, is the core insight we have correct? you should be able to reach that insight in any environment, boom or bust. And so, you know, I think it's not a great time today, you know, kind of going back to your point about, you know, where, where the macro economy is and, you know, whether we're going to enter recession. It's not a great time today to be a growth stage company, you know, a company with hundreds of employees and tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue that, you know, maybe was planning to IPO in the next year or so. I think there's a really tough time to be the CEO of one of those um, private companies. Um, but for a seed stage company, Honestly, I don't think it makes a huge difference. Like, you know, I think you're, you're too small for your risks to be macro. Your risks are all micro, but also the investors that you need at this stage, if you're raising the first million, couple of million dollars, you know, they're assuming, I hope rightly that by the time you need to raise more money, the macro environment will be different again. So they tend not to be too concerned about these things. Now, is the world, is the VC world slowing down a bit in 2022? Well, relative to 2021, absolutely. But you know, I think it's worth saying that twenty twenty one was not the norm. You know, I haven't looked at the exact data, but I'm pretty sure that twenty twenty two, even though it's a lot slower than twenty twenty one, is probably roughly where it was in twenty nineteen. And in twenty nineteen we all felt it was a pretty great time to be starting a startup. So well, I, I think in general great founders shouldn't overthink the macro. I think that's not where the risk lies. The risk lies in in you, your product and 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 you know, and your customers. I think that's
0: a great answer that aligns with your philosophy of the average and exposing yourself to variance. Really, it doesn't really matter. If you're hitting the jackpot, you're hitting it. So that's a great, great answer. And I really want to speak to the competitive edge that you mentioned in this next question, right? So according to Houghton Street Ventures, uh 25 of the UK's 39 unicorns came from LSE, which is surprising considering we're a university of social scientists, right? So where is our competitive edge coming from, first of all, but then uh this places the UK in fourth in the world at creating unicorns, behind India with 54, China with 301, and the US with 487. And as chair, or perhaps not as chair, I'm not going to voice your own opinion, well, <laughs> of the of the UK's Advanced Research and Invention Agency, how do you see the UK potentially climbing up in these rankings?
1: Uh, l- let me take that in parts because I, I think you raised a bunch of interesting questions, and I want to try and respond to all of them. So um, it's not actually that surprising for me, to hear that stat about LSE, um, you know, our most valuable company today that, that we've helped to build at EF is a company called Tractable. And, um, you know, the CEO Alex Daliak is an LSE graduate. So, um, it, it, it's not that surprising to me. Um, I, why do I think that is? Um, I think one thing that is really overstated in general is how different founders are from everywhere else, uh, everyone else, sorry. I think it's very tempting for people to imagine that founders have some sort of founder gene that makes them more likely to take risk or sort of more comfortable with entrepreneurship. I think that's rubbish, to be honest. I think when you look at all the literature on entrepreneurship and the the sort of traits and characteristics that predict entrepreneurship, in a way, it's a really underwhelming literature. It sort of tells you that entrepreneurs are smart, disciplined, hardworking, um, you know, open to big, I- new and big ideas, et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, wait a minute, this seems to be describing anyone successful in any walk of life anywhere. And I think that's broadly true. Like one of my big beliefs is that, uh, entrepreneurship is much more culturally determined than it is genetically determined, or or even like educationally determined. And so, you know, I I think the big predictors of entrepreneurship are actually going to be around skill and ambition. And you know, LSE is filtering pretty hard for skill and ambition, so it, it's it's not that surprising to me. It may be the most explicitly ambitious university in the UK. You know, like obviously Oxford and Cambridge are full of ambitious people, but you know, LSE might have more of a sort of hard edge commercial ambition to it. Than, than those other places so you know in a way it's not that surprising but i think you are right to point out that one of the ways that i think the uk can build a robust economy for decades to come is to be uh, one of the best places in the world to build technology companies and by technology companies i don't just mean like companies whose goods and services are delivered over the internet because today that's all companies i mean companies exploiting uh, technological breakthroughs and for that i think you're absolutely right that you do need scientists uh, engineers technologists to become entrepreneurs now uh, aria um which as you said is the you know advanced research and invention agency set up by the uk government um our remit is not measured in terms of startup outcomes although absolutely that's one of the things that we hope comes out of it What we're really trying to do at ARIA um, is to say, what does it take to allow the very most talented and ambitious scientists, whatever stage of their career, to take real risk and shoot for uh, real breakthroughs? I do think that today in science, particularly early career, there are a lot of incentives to work on incremental things that are more likely to generate, you know, an incremental publication that gets cited in these ways. And again, a lot of that's useful work. I I, I don't want to denigrate that work, but I do think that if you look at the history of science, a lot of it comes from, you know, brilliant, but quite unconventional characters taking real risk, doing something hard uh, that maybe wasn't obvious, wasn't, um, even encouraged by, you know, existing institutions and the, you know, science establishment. And so part of Aria's job is to be a natural home for people that want to take those risks. And, you know, we want to fund the things that might otherwise fall through the cracks. Now, some of those might become unicorn companies. I, I hope some of them do, but the real goal is, uh, is, is to make sure that we get the scientific breakthroughs that, um, that all prosperity is built on, whether through entrepreneurship or, um, you know, other ways of bringing innovation. Um, into into everyday use.
0: What has been the most important thing that you have learned with EF? And what advice uh, would you have to give to university students today?
1: I've learned a lot, I hope, building uh, EF. I, if I had to synthesize it down to one thing, it would be that there are a few things more important in the world or more highly leveraged in the world than the decision of what ambitious people choose to do with their lives. And if you can influence that decision, a very early stage uh and you work with the right people, then you can achieve extraordinary things. I think, you know, when we started EF and we said, we we're going to focus on people very early in their careers. I think people thought that was like, you know, so stupid. And I think people really underestimate the power of raw talent uh applied consistently focused way, you know, in the right direction. And you know, I think even we underestimated how much, you know, those first few cohorts would achieve in terms of outcomes. And so I suppose that brings me to my advice to, you know, people at university who are thinking about their career. like, if you care about maximizing impact, what, however measured, whether that's financial impact, you know, making money or, you know, intellectual impact or social impact, any of these things, um you know as i said earlier you need to expose yourself to variance you need to you need to take risk but i think the way to feel comfortable doing that is to just don't underestimate yourself there's all sorts of uh things that are truly extraordinary that young people have achieved when they were not ready you know they were not experienced enough they had none of the badges that typically are needed in order to achieve certain levels of success and the cool thing about entrepreneurship is that it's really the only way to have um, extraordinary success without gatekeepers, you know, without having the badges that you need. And so, you know, my advice would be not that everyone should be an entrepreneur. I don't think everyone should be an entrepreneur, but if it's something that speaks to you, if it's something that feels right, don't worry about readiness. Uh, just worry about exposing yourself to variance. The actual downside is very limited, but the upside is truly enormous.
0: Thank you, Matt. I'm sure that answer will really resonate with the students listening. And on that note, I would like to thank Matt and everyone for joining us in this episode of LSE Focal Point. And make sure to stay tuned in the future for more episodes.